came in late. Um, Wednesday Bible study is canceled, as is the following Wednesday night Bible study. But this Thursday night is Christmas Eve, and we'll have a Christmas Eve service here at 5 o'clock from 5 to 6. And as I keep telling you, I will get you out of here by 6, if not a little bit before. So, um, But like I said, we're not going to cut right in the middle of the song, right? But no, we'll be, we'll be all right. You wouldn't like that, would you? <laughs> I didn't think so. Oh, that is hot. It's coffee. Well, okay. We're in the book of John. John chapter 1. You know what? Why don't we all read this together? This is like, like the passage to me, you know, in the Bible that this speaks about Jesus. Um, you can just follow along up there because I'm going to read out the New King James. But uh, I want to read the first nine verses. So let's go ahead and read that together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts concerning this passage this morning. And, Lord, what a wonderful passage this is that declares the nature, the ministry, the characteristics, the, 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 the blessings of knowing Jesus, of knowing who he is. And so, Lord, we pray that that you would uh, open the eyes of our hearts this morning that we might uh, grab a hold of this as we consider this again on this fourth Advent Sunday, what it means to be the light of the world. So, Lord, we ask again that you would fill us, that we, we might hear from you. Fill me that you might speak through me and and Lord, that you would be blessed, that we would be also edified, that we would be built up, that we would walk out of here with just uh, just a uh, a sweeter understanding of who you are, because of the fact that you are such a great God. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, "Amen." I'm going to pretty much zero in this morning on on, uh, verses 3, 4, and 5 rather than looking at verses 1 and verses 2. I've taught on verse 1 quite a bit. Um, To me, it's one of the most important verses in the New Testament. Uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And and any way that you you, uh, try to slice or dice this particular verse, 
whether it be in English or whether it be in, 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 the, uh, in the Greek, uh, it points to this one whom is identified as the word, as the one who is the pre-existing one, who was with God and was, and that word was. Remember I talked about this. It's the verb actually to be. So it's, while it's translated in a past tense, uh, it has in this, this context this, this not only a past tense, but also to be in the present, but also to be in the future. So it has kind of an eternal ring to it, if, if, or more like an infinity type of ring to it. And so this one who was the word uh, was with God, and yet at the same time, he was God. Now, does that sound contradictory to some people? It does. And then they try to do all types of things with this particular verse and try to, to try to explain away that which I believe the Bible very boldly and very plainly declares, that Jesus was with God and Jesus is God. And, and, and of course, I kind of let the cat out of the bag, but you know where I was going to go with this because in verse 14 it says the word became flesh and tabernacled. That is, he tabernacled. This idea, you know, remember what the tabernacle was. What was the tabernacle? It was a, like a, it was a tent, essentially. It was a temporary dwelling place where eventually when they came into Jerusalem and the temple was built by Solomon. But uh, until then, Jesus comes and he tabernacles with us. It's this, this idea of God with us that we see in the book of Isaiah chapter 7 and chapter 9. And, and so... Um, this is one of the strongest New Testament statements, Colossians chapter 1 being another one of the deity of Jesus Christ who was with God and is God. I should say who is with God and is God. Now, again, there are times that we just have to apprehend these things by faith. And, and the, the idea of the Trinity... Um, the idea even of eternity past and into eternity future is like when I start thinking about it, it really, to me anyway, it pops a lot of circuits in my, in my circuit board. Uh, and yet, uh, it's a plain declaration. It's a plain declaration uh, that Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. And, and, um, and it says, he was in the beginning with God. It underscores that idea again. And, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So you have this reference to creation. Now, of course, hopefully your mind, when you read in the beginning, where should your mind go if you read the Bible much? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And John is actually starting out his gospel at in the beginning. It's really... This idea of in the beginning is, is this time uh, of eternity past. Uh, however, it is that we can totally conceptualize it. But, but creation is really the foundational doctrine of the Christian faith. And really much of everything stems from creation. As a matter of fact, Paul picks up on this idea when he's speaking to, writing to the Corinthians. And he says that you and I are what? We are new creations. So, and to me, it kind of boggles my mind because that which what God did in the creation activity that's recorded in Genesis chapter 1 and in chapter 2, he also does 
kind of in a microcosm on a spiritual plane in each and every individual heart who trust him. He recreates us. We have become a new creation. Old, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New. New. Whether you've been a Christian for five years or five minutes, all things have become new. Do we walk in that newness? Boy, that's, I didn't, wasn't planning on going here, guys, but to me that's kind of sticking out this morning, is do we walk in this newness in our relationship with Christ or do we just drudge through, do we just drudge through life and, oh, I just wish Jesus would come back and get me out of this mess? That's not what God has called. That's not how God has called us to live. It really isn't. We are to occupy until he comes. Creation, bless you, is the foundational doctrine of the Christian faith. And basically every aspect of theology rests on our understanding is that God is the origin of all things. The, the origin of all things. That's what makes this idea to me of, of evolution so damnable is it completely cuts God out of the equation. And you, and you have, uh, you have what, what the Bible has declared as, uh, uh, as fact been brushed away and, and it's been replaced with conjecture. Do you, realize that the, do you realize, you know what a theory means? That means it hasn't been proven. The theory of, I don't mind going here either, but anyway, it's a theory. Now, I don't know how God exactly did all that he did. It, uh, it's given to us. I have to read it and I have to trust it. But I, I believe that which God declared. And in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. And here John tells us that Jesus created all things were made by him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. What's fascinating in the book of Genesis chapter 1 in the creation account, what is the first thing that is created? You guys remember? Light. God says, let there be light. First words that are, that, he, that are recorded. Not the first words he ever said, I don't believe, but the first words that are ever recorded in the Bible are let there be light. And that's what makes this whole little first part of, of, first, of John. I could spend weeks on teaching through this one chapter, but that's what makes this... this, this uh, first part so important is you have this declaration of Jesus Christ who is God who was there in the beginning who created all things and without him nothing is made that was made the creator but then he becomes flesh and he dwells among us now if I were God and if it were my mission to save the world, okay, I'm a spirit being, right? I don't know that I would want to become flesh. Break my little toe, right? Stub my toe, slam my hand on the car door. I think I would have opted for just kind of hovering over humanity. That just, that just seems much more sterile to me. But the prophet Isaiah, again, Isaiah 8, 9, 7 even, talks about God with us. The, 
the fact that he created the heavens and the earth and all that consists in it. When you think about the fact that he is the creator, he is really the only one that can redeem creation. Why, how would God relegate the job of the redemption of creation? Because Paul tells us in Romans that all creation is groaning to be redeemed. How could God as the creator assign the job of redemption of creation to somebody else other than himself? To me, it doesn't make any sense. So not only in verse 1 you have this incredible declaration of the, of, of the word was with God, the word was God, and then the fact that he created all things and in him was life. In him was life. This word is an interesting word because the word life, um, which is zoe or zoe, depending on how you want to pronounce it. If you want to spell it in English, it's Z-O-E. Uh, it's, it's there at least 36 times in the Gospel of John. It's an important concept uh, in, in what John is attempting to teach us uh, through his book. And, and it, is, it is, in Jesus Christ was life. In him was life. Um, this word was, in the grammatical context, uh, it does refer back to the logos, to the word. The word was life. In him was life, and life was the light of men. Now tie that back into what I just told you about regarding creation. Where the first thing that was created was what? Light. Before the sun and the moon, by the way, and the stars. Now think about that for a second. That pops a couple of my circuits. I think... Not only is it a physical light, but there's an essence here that we don't really quite grab and really quite understand in creation because I think he's also speaking on a spiritual level. But fast forward into the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation where in, in chapter 22 where you have there will be no need of the sun and the moon or they will not set, they will not move. Why? Because the lamb will be the source of light. How's that going to work? I have any idea. I really don't. That's the ultimate of a new creation, if you think about it. Because he's taking us back to the beginning. Where God declared, let there be light. And the light was separated from the darkness. And the light he called day and the darkness he called night. And he declared that it was what? It was good. It was good. I thought about this idea of, of light and life, and, and I remember years ago, years ago, we were, a bunch of us were on like a, some, like a weekend mission trip. I don't know how this all worked out, but anyway, I was just along for the ride. I played the guitar, okay? Um, we all piled into this hotel room, and there, I don't know, there was more than we probably should have had. But anyway, we're all piled into this hotel room and we all slept there uh, over the weekend. And, and uh, 
or at least one night. And I, I remember there wasn't any, there was like no real estate to lay down on, right? I mean, we'd already taken the mattress off the bed and there were, you know, for two beds and, you know, uh, and, and one of the guys, I'll never forget this because I remember when he showed up, he brought a sleeping bag, which I thought was weird anyway. But then again, so he has a sleeping bag and he rolls it out. He finds a spot on the floor, but he's right in front of the bathroom. So in the middle of the night, his older brother, who I, I love this guy, but he could get kind of terse at times. But his older brother wakes up the entire room because he steps on his younger brother who's laying on the floor and he's yelling at him, what are you doing down there? I'm thinking, what are you doing yelling at him when we're all trying to sleep? You know, but why did he step on his brother? Now, I remember his brother later on that, uh, th- that morning, he said to him, you didn't say you're sorry. You didn't say anything. You just, what are you doing down there? He was mad because he had stepped on his brother. Why did he step on his brother? Because he was walking in darkness. Because he didn't know where he was going. You ever get up in the middle of the night and it's dark and there's that one item that's left out? And it finds your shin? And you usually throw it, well, never mind. You do what you do. Um, So the problem with darkness is we don't know where we're going. We don't see where we're going. And, and, and again, this is this whole concept of Advent, which takes us back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, is that the people who dwell in darkness have seen a great light. And, and, the, and I even thought about this with the shepherds. I almost taught on the shepherds this morning. They're out in the middle of this field. And I don't think they had any expectation what was going to happen whatsoever. I think they had a campfire or two lit, maybe a couple oil lamps, sitting in the darkness taking care of the sheep, and all of a sudden this angel appears. And then all of a sudden this heavenly host appears. And I have always get this picture that they were up in the sky. You've seen pictures of that, right? I'm not sure if that was the case. This angel might have appeared right there next to him. If you read the text, it doesn't really give a full amount of detail. That heavenly host might have been right there on the ground just lighting the place up. And, of course, because of that announcement that they received, what did they do? They dropped everything, and they went into Bethlehem, and they found Jesus, and they worshiped him. They had sat in darkness, but they had seen a great light. Before we knew the Lord, we sat in darkness. And at times, I believe, after we know the Lord, we will sit in darkness. And there are times that we are called in darkness, I believe. And God walks us through very dark times. And yet, even in those dark times, we, as I mentioned this two weeks ago, we are called to watch. We are called to look up. We are called to seek the light. We are called to be waiting for him to reveal himself. Because... In him was life, and the life was the light of men. His life is something that illuminates. His life is something that, that, that is shed upon us so that we have a sense be, uh, to be able to see where we are going. Even again, in those times when we walk, I, I, in those dark nights where, where, uh, where we can't really necessarily see where we're going. But it tells us that the light shines in darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. The word comprehend doesn't really do justice to the, the Greek language here. Um, 
I think it's the whole of oh, the uh, New English Translation. It's netbible.org, by the way, if you want to look up an interesting translation. Netbible.org. Uh, it's in English, and uh, for a New English Translation, uh, and it's 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 a it's a good piece of work. Most of it, I've seen it actually bound, but most of the time, most of what I've seen of it is online. Um, but it says that the darkness did not master over it. It's a better translation, actually. Because, again, what you have here is not just physical light that is being spoken of here by John, but it's talking about spiritual illumination, spiritual understanding, spiritual comprehending. And, and being able to see things, to understand things with our spiritual eyes. Which, by the way, again, as I, I talked about this, I think a little bit last week, unless the Spirit of God reveals these things to us, it does not happen. We don't see them ourselves. We don't understand them ourselves. And, and so uh, we've been given not only this life by him, but we've been given this light that shines and the darkness does not master over it. It's a wonderful contrast between life and light and darkness and death. Because at the end of all things, those who do not receive the Lord are cast where? They're cast into outer darkness. Those who have received him, as I already said, they are in the presence of the Lord without the need of, of a sun or a moon because the Lamb is its light. So you have here the word. God who comes in person to reveal himself to us, to reveal us, uh, to reveal who he is and to reveal to us his great love for us. And again, going back to creation, God is always, and I think we forget this. Now, I'm telling you things that you already know today, right? I think sometimes we just need to be reminded of them because I, I think at times we have to, we, we need to be reminded that God is always the source of light. I was talking with a guy recently, and he's navigating some things in his life, and, and he, he was kind of like, well, I, I just recognize I really haven't prayed like I probably should have on this. I haven't, really, I haven't really sought God's counsel on this like perhaps I should have. And, and, and I think it, 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 at times we, I mean, we know these things, but then we go through life and we get caught up in them. And we don't use the lifeline of prayer to ask God to shed light upon those things that we need for his illumination so that we might comprehend what's going on in our lives. In Psalm 36, verse 9, it says, With you is the fountain of life. <clears throat> in your light we see light. Psalm 36, 9. Uh, I, I love that because it says, you, "With you, you are the fountain of life." Right? Remember what was that? What was that Spaniard down in Florida? Um, I'm talking during exploration. 
name just went in and out of my head. I need an interpretation of that. Ponce de Leon, right? Okay. Um, and he was looking for what? Goes down to Florida, right? Well, he wasn't go down. He flew. Anyway, he was in Florida looking for what? A fountain of youth. What in the world was in their water back then? You know? You know, they really, they, never mind. Enough said. Uh, looking for a fountain of youth. Why? Because they want to live forever. See, that's an inert, ingrained longing of humanity. And the psalmist, in Psalm 36, he, he articul- articulates it so well where he says to them that, that you are the fountain of life. And in your light, we see light. Think about that. In your light, in your illumination, we see light. We see illumination. In other words, Lord, because you have enabled us to see, now we have that ability. Now, it, it's, it, 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 it's an interesting passage. I mean, an interesting little verse because, because it's recognizing the necessity of God's action and God's movement and God's uh, interceding even in our daily lives. And yet at the same time, also recognizing that once we, through God's light, we are able to see light. In other words, now we have the capacity because of that which you have done in our lives. And we're partnering. Does that make sense? We're partnering with you, Lord. Because of your light, now we can see. And, and uh, I had some interesting grandkids. I still have interesting grandkids. And when they were little, go ahead and try this at home, guys, so you have little grandkids at home. When you get them in a room at night, Turn the light off on them and shut the door. See what happens. It's rather amusing. Uh, especially if they're bothering you. <laughs> and they're like, ah, they freak out, right? Because there is no illumination. I, I better not tell that story. Anyway, but <laughs> the first one was bad enough. But, but it's, it's an example that, 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 that we want light. We crave the light. We, we want this source of life. But the reality is that we will do anything and everything we can if it means that we don't submit to Christ over it. Because that's how we're made as well. And when we finally surrender when we finally recognize that you are the one who has created all things, that you you alone have the ability to redeem them. And in order to see the light, this is where it gets hard. In order to see the light, I've got to submit to you. I've got to continually submit to you, which means... Part of submitting to the Lord means you stop giving him consultations. 
Now, I'm a, can I cut a real fine line here? Yeah, why not? I don't think there's anything wrong. I think the Bible actually tells us that we, we, you have not what? Because what? You have not because you ask not or you ask amiss that you may consume it on your own lust. The book of James, right? I don't think there's anything wrong. Matter of fact, I think it's biblical to tell the Lord your needs. I think there is that fine line when we start telling the Lord what we really want and what we expect. That's when we start consulting. Which, you know, he's, he's never asked me for my opinion on a whole lot. You know, and, and, and that's a very biblical concept as well because go read the last chapters, few chapters of the book of Job where God declares to Job, where were you when I made the earth? Uh, and I would have been like, hey, can we stop now? And God keeps going if you've read it. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, you just feel like, you know, you just feel like you're just, you know, Job looking for a rock to crawl underneath by the time God is done, or even halfway done. See, the thing is that light, illumination, understanding, and yes, we have reason, and I understand that. But again, I'm, I'm talking about spiritual light. I'm talking about spiritual illumination. It doesn't belong to us naturally. It doesn't belong to us naturally. And boy, I, I've met a whole bunch of people that really would take issue with what I just said. The reality is that, that it, he, in him was life and, and his life was, was the light of men. It does not belong to us naturally. Uh, it, it's a gift that's given from outside of our human experience. And in that case, in this realm, with what John is talking about here in this passage, light and darkness is to be understood ethically. Not necessarily a metaphysical or even a physical understanding, but it's an ethical understanding. How do you live in light? If you walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have what? First John, chapter 1, fellowship with one another. <clears throat> and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin if we walk in the light. Later on in the book of John chapter 3, John, Jesus says that men love what? Darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. See, it's ethics. How you live. What does it mean for you to live in the light? And I think often it is, it's going to look very strange compared to the ways of the rest of the world. How are we to walk in light? How are we to be, as Jesus said in the book of Matthew, the light like a city on upon, upon a hill? When he says to us, you're the light of the world. Now to me, that, that's just like, really? <laughs> Seriously? And at times I'm like, do I have to be? You know. Uh, but what did he say about himself? He said, he used the same words, but I think the context is a little different. In the book of John chapter 12, he declares himself as the light. 
excuse me, wrong chapter. John chapter 8, verse 12, it says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. See, now Jesus flips around what John said earlier. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. My friend Don had had a light of any type when he got up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom. He wouldn't have tripped over, stepped on his brother and tripped over him or woke the rest of us up, which was to me much more important than anything else. I was trying to get some, you know. But Jesus says we're the light of the world. He says first that he is the light of the world, but then he turns it around and he says that we are the light of the world. Now, what, does that make sense either? Okay. Jackie says it does. All right, so we're in good shape, right? Why? Because, follow my thinking here before you think I'm a heretic, all right? So if you, ha- if you, go- if you fell asleep, wake up, all right? In a very real sense, because the Holy Spirit dwells in each one of us, we are the incarnation to the world today. We have been given, according to Peter, the divine nature. That which Jesus did on his ministry on earth, he also calls us to copy and to represent. We are, Paul said it very, very clearly, we are what? ambassadors for Christ. Okay? The Spirit of God dwells in us. We're called to be those who bear the light of the spiritual illumination of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is a God who has created all this, who loves you, who gave his life for you, who will one day come back for you. I mean, that's a real, real quick synopsis of part of the gospel. But, but, That is what we have been called to walk in. We will not then walk in darkness. But we will have the light of life. And and so much so many of the Psalms, David wrote many of the ones that he wrote. And we've seen this as we're reading through the Psalms on on Sunday morning when we take communion, where it's conflict and difficulty and being oppressed and having just people out to get you. And yet at the very end of the Psalm, what normally happens? He praises God, even if he's not delivered, by the way. Even if he's not delivered. He, he, He says, in essence, what Job said very directly when he says, though he, referring to God, Slay me, yet I will still praise him. See, that's walking in light. So now I finally got some flesh on it for you, didn't I? Okay. Though he slay me, yet I will still praise him. Why? Because if I'm following him, I will not walk in darkness, but I will have the light of life. And that doesn't mean that I will necessarily have all the things that I want. And my life will turn out happy and joyous and free and all this this stuff that, that that I think we all long for and 
And if you don't, then maybe you should. I'll just leave it at that, huh? But to truly walk in light is to walk in a way that we live open-handedly before God and we allow his sovereign will to do whatever it is that he desires in our lives, surrounding our lives. Whether it be good, bad, or indifferent, and whether it be any of those things, we yet praise him. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God called light to be separate from darkness. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. And there are sometimes that's the only thing that gets me out of bed in the morning. And that's the only thing that keeps my sanity at times. Is knowing that he is. Is knowing that he loves me. I don't know why. Alright. Of course I look at some of you and I really don't know why. Okay. But. 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 but Because if I were God I would have made the world and I would have turned it into a soccer ball. I really would have man. And I would have sent it flying somewhere. And smiled as it sailed across the universe. You know. But the sense of commitment. The sense of love. The sense of desiring to give us his very, very best. Even in spite of the difficult and harsh and dark circumstances that we encounter. We've been called to follow him because he is the light of life. Real quick and then I'm done. Jesus is saying some very, very hard sayings in the book of John. And he's got a bunch of people that are listening. And, they're, and he starts thinning out his crowds, right? Because he's saying things that are so difficult. They're like, I, I don't get this. I'm out of here, right? And he turns to his disciples. And he says, are you going to go away too? That would have cut my heart. I don't know about you. And Peter, where else are we to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Ah. Because it would have been just as easy for those disciples to bag it. Everybody else is out of here. I am too, you know. But they recognize that he is the source of the words of life and the life which is the light of to all men. See how they're interrelated? Some of you got it. Some of you are like, I'm still thinking about this. You see how they're interrelated though? And the fullness of the substance of the life that he brings. Which often is very different than what you and I would either expect or even want. But he alone 
has the words of eternal life. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that although we have sat in darkness, we have seen a great light. We thank you, Lord, that you created the heavens and the earth, that you have given us a home, that you've given us means to see physically, you have given us means to see mentally. Most importantly, Lord, we thank you that you've given us means to see spiritually. And that through your life, through that life flow of the work of the Holy Spirit that you have implanted in each of us, that we might go out and bear the light and be as the prophet said and as you said, Lord, in the, in the New Testament, that we would be the light to the world. Help us to walk in the light as you were in the light. Help us to keep watching, to keep waiting, to keep hoping. And all and above all of that, Lord, we pray that you would help us to keep trusting. Keep doing that work in us. Continue to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. For your great name's sake, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys.